0: is the Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria.
1: And what if it's a life or death situation? How am I going to get information out of someone who's just reading notes about the weather but doesn't know anything about it? It's, really, it's actually bringing out a bit of anxiety about that. I really don't like that idea at all.
2: Fears about what changes at the Bureau of Meteorology will mean for those living in rural and regional areas and also those who rely on forecasts for the business, like farmers as well. We'll talk about that, continue to talk about that today, plus... We'll go harvesting, because it started for many of you across areas of Victoria. And, well, getting the workforce has been a hodgepodge job for some, but the workers are having a good time.
3: You know, at home, we can't start harvest at least noon because of the heavy dew, the temperature change. So coming here in Australia at 9 o'clock in the morning and the boss says, let's go, I'm like, wow, we could start at 9 a.m.
2: Uh, it's the little things, isn't it? We'll have a harvest special for you on the program today in the second half of the program. Go to a a farm and hear from the many people from many walks of life that are working on bringing in the crop. It's not to be missed, so stay tuned for that. Right now, though, let's get some rural news with Jane McNaughton. G'day, Jane.
4: Cheers Warwick. The national commodity forecaster Abares is tipping winter grain production this season will come in just under last year's record-breaking harvest. Clint Jasper has more.
5: Despite La Nina's third appearance in a row and the wet cold conditions it brought to the east coast Abares Executive Director Dr Jared Greenville says nationally things are looking good.
6: And we're forecasting that the gross value of agriculture production is going to be pretty much on par with the record
5: that it set last year at $85 billion. Abares forecasts the national winter grain harvest at 62 million tonnes this season. Favourable conditions in WA and South Australia have helped raise bumper crops. 23.8 million tonnes in the West and 11.2 million tonnes in SA. Both will be record breakers if those numbers are achieved. And they've more than offset the smaller harvest expected to come out of New South Wales, where devastating floods and challenging conditions during the season have led Abears to forecast a harvest of 13.2 million tonnes, about 30% less than last year's best on record for the state. In Victoria, crop damage and losses in the north will be more than offset by better conditions in the Mallee region. In total, ABES has forecast winter grain production to rise 15% off last year's crop to 10.7 million tonnes. And Queensland's winter crop production is forecast at 2.9 million tonnes, which would make it the second largest on record. But this year farmers have paid huge bills for their inputs and Dr Jared Greenville says that'll weigh on profitability.
6: We're expecting that to decline from last year. So last year we saw some record levels of farm profits across the country. But this year going in, although we we haven't got our full survey results back, but based on what we're observing in terms of fertiliser prices, which have been around three times above
5: what they might otherwise be, um, we're expecting that to squeeze that quite a lot. Dr Greenville says high commodity prices combined with strong overseas demand is tipped to push farm exports to a record-breaking $72 billion.
4: Australian farmers can expect some relief in potash and phosphate prices over the next six months, but nitrogen fertiliser prices are set to rise, according to Ribobank. The company's semi-annual fertiliser outlook says current price trends and volatility are in line with a three-year cycle of peaks, and if history is to be believed, especially trends observed following the 2008 global financial crisis, then prices should come down in the coming months. But Rabobank Sydney-based farm inputs analyst Victor Pistoia says primary producers should keep a close eye on the prices as buying at the right time will be critical.
7: All nitrogen fertilizers that farmers use globally now, they come from ammonia and ammonia by turns come from natural gas. It's a major feedstock and Europe is a major producer, importer and exporter. And as we speak now, beginning of December, the gas storage in Europe still have good levels, but winter is going on there and it's not clear when the major countries will need to go back in the market and start buying gas again. That will increase price because they have a lack of supply because of the sanctions against Russia. So, when that happens, it will likely lead to a closing in the industries that manufacture nitrogen fertilisers, so they're going to cut the supply globally.
4: And big money was forked out for stock horses at the biggest sale of its kind in Dalby in Queensland this week. Alice Marshall was there when the sale topped six figures for one stallion.
8: $100,000. That was the amount one St George couple walked away with after selling their stallion, fittingly named Royale Double Your Money, at the Dalby Australian stock horse sale. These big figures helped to bump up the average price to $22,961, higher than last year's average of $19,351. Wedged into the draw between some pretty experienced, older cowboys, Felicity Wells is only 11 years old. But that didn't stop her from selling the gelding she was riding. For a fair sum of money.
1: He went for twenty six thousand and I was pretty happy with that and um, yeah, I was happy to ride in the, the... We call him Morton but his real name's Shield Tyson and I've uh, I've just been riding well, Jonathan Sylvester's been having him for quite a bit, like six weeks just before he and I got on him out. So this is probably my sixth time riding him. He's a six-year-old gelding and I quite like him.
8: And that's
4: today's edition of a slightly different Rural News.
2: Brilliant. Thank you very much for that, Jane. Amazing. The stock horse sale prices coming out of Dolby, they're huge figures, $100,000, I think a couple of others went in the 90s. Absolutely massive. You can read more about that, abc.net.au slash rural This is the Country Hour. You can send us a text, 0467 842 722.
0: The Victorian Country Hour with Warwick Long on ABC Radio Victoria.
2: Let's pick up on a story we brought you yesterday on changes at the Bureau of Meteorology to their forecasts on programs like this one and what it could mean. For rural and regional areas, uh, farmers and residents across rural Victoria have criticised the decision by the Bureau to take its meteorologists off radio. As you heard yesterday, the Bureau has begun hiring community information officers to replace meteorologists for crosses into programs like The Country Hour, but also commercial radio as well. But it's yet to publicly announce that it's doing this or discuss the change as well, despite our numerous requests. Lisa Ross from Gormandale in Gippsland says she's angry and concerned it could put rural communities at risk.
1: I'm not really keen on the idea of having a, whatever a communications specialist is. I'd rather have someone from the Bureau of Meteorology speaking as a professional, particularly in emergency situations such as bushfires and storms. For example, uh, well, we're in the 2009 Black Saturday fires, and the first thing that goes is your power. So if our power goes, we can't use the internet at all to you know check details on what's happening with storms or bushfires or anything. We have to reserve power, obviously for obvious reasons. So therefore, the only thing that we can listen to is a radio. So everyone in the bush intently listens to their radio to get information from a professional about what's happening in their area. And also for people like, you know, Warwick or, you know, Nicole Chavastic or one of the presenters down here in this area, if I ring them up and go, look, we've had these big storms and it's ripping the top off the trees, what nurse is happening? They can speak on my behalf and find out information with a professional, not from some person who, you know, just there to read out what the weather is. That's just not good enough. And what if it's a life or death situation? How am I going to get information out of someone who's just reading notes about the weather but doesn't know anything about it? It's really, it's actually bringing out a bit of anxiety about that. I really don't like that idea at all. It's making me very apprehensive,
9: And I suspect there would be others that would feel the same way as well.
1: Yeah, and like our neighbour's ninety six. You know, I need to be able, you know, inform her about what's happening. If you, what if you know, I've got this person just going, oh, the weather today is going to be blah blah blah. Well, no, I don't want that. I want presenters from the ABC to go right. What is happening exactly? And ask them questions on our behalf. And we, as taxpayers, we own Bomb, not the CEO. You shouldn't start changing things. We like it the way it is. I don't understand what they're doing trying to change things. I think that's imperiling other people in rural areas. I really do. I think it's a really terrible thing to do, actually.
9: Just to play devil's advocate, I mean, is there, in your mind, when you think about this decision they've made, is there anything you can see about it that, that you would see as positive?
1: No. Honestly, what would be... put? No, not really. I mean, it's all right if you live somewhere and the weather's the same all the time, but we live in Gippsland and it's never the same all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it just isn't. It could be like 30 in the morning and snowing in the afternoon. So no, I don't, find, I don't find it reassuring at all. You know, I find the whole thing really nerve-wracking, actually. I didn't think it would. But when I heard it on the Country Hour, I thought oh, no, no, this isn't, no, what are they doing? Just stop it. I mean, it's someone dictating from the city about how things should be done for the country. They have no idea. They just don't. It really isn't good enough. I think they're really damaging the brand of the bomb. You know, we used to be able to rely on things, but this, no, definitely wouldn't rely on that at all.
2: That's Gormandale resident Lisa Ross speaking there to Luke Radford, and you can let us know what you think about the changes at the Bureau of Meteorology and how you feel about it, what questions you have. That's an important bit really, isn't it? What questions do you have? What would you like us to try and ask the Bureau on your behalf? I do have a statement from the Bureau. It's it's not full in detail, but I will read The relevant parts of that to you shortly on the program. Before we get there, though, a senior ABC manager says the broadcaster had to ask for a please explain from the Bureau of Meteorology after changes to forecasting had already started to affect radio programs. As you're hearing, the Bureau of Meteorology is moving away from having meteorologists provide weather crosses to ABC commercial radio programs in favour of having less qualified community information officers instead. And it was after those changes had happened that the ABC noticed. Head of Regional, Rural and Emergency at the ABC, Hugh Martin, who in full disclosure is a boss of mine, says he has concerns including further centralisation of Bureau staff presenting weather crosses into ABC programs.
10: We got confirmation in late October that the the Bureau was planning on uh, making these changes to centralise their... their their radio crosses. So there had been some discussions or some concerns beforehand in some of our regional stations that they were getting different, um, different crosses from different locations, but there wasn't anything official. So we had a meeting with the Bureau in late October, on the 20th of October, and at that meeting they officially told us that they wanted their meteorologists to concentrate on the science and that they would be creating a central communications team to manage radio crosses that would be based um, in in an east coast capital city.
2: So you had to ask them for that information after the change had already been made.
10: That's correct. The changes hadn't been completed, but the um, but they were sort of underway. And um, and so, for example, in mid September we had uh, some changes to our, our radio crosses in the Northern Territory, um, and then. In early October, in in Queensland, some of our radio teams uh, were calling their regular bomb contacts for radio crosses and were told to contact a number, a phone number in Melbourne instead. So, um, and that was a change that that wasn't communicated prior to those um, those presenters just being told or those on air teams being told to call a different number. Is it concerning
2: to what you can deliver? to your audience that localised information could be lost if bureau crosses are centralised?
10: Well, look, first of all, let me say that I've got to you know I understand that the um, the Bureau of Meteorology has a an organization to run they're a government funded organization just like we are, and they're managing um, uh, their budgets in the way that they see fit against a strategy that that they have set. so we can understand that there are going to be changes from time to time, and the rationale behind that we might disagree with, but that's not our um, it's it's not our our organisation to run. What we're looking for really is a clear communication process so that we can understand what it is that 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 they're wanting to do how what the changes are that they're going to make
2: it's a question of accuracy too isn't it you've got presenters on radio programs right now introducing senior forecasters and meteorologists onto their show when they are in fact not that They're something else under the bureau of meteorology
10: well that's that's true too, and it's, it's unfortunate because it's also part of that, that, that communication process which is not quite um, where we want it to be at the moment. We actually don't know who these people who the communication um, uh, um, you know, experts are at the other end often whereas um, through you know through years of, of interaction we've come to know their senior meteorologists um, and form that relationship with them, which is really important. That's not to say that we can't um, expect that to happen uh, I- again in the future with with um, uh, communication um, experts, but who are well informed and who have got um, you know really strong science um, knowledge and, um, and and you know the, the detailed information. But that's not where we're at at the moment, and this is the problem. And this is something that um, I'm very keen to work with the bomb to understand how we can make that. Um, that work for both both parties, for us and for them, and for our audiences, which is really what it's all about. Because Australian taxpayers and Australian uh, audiences everywhere are the um, are the reason that we do this. So it's um, it's really really important that we get it right.
2: So you will be following this up with the Bureau of Meteorology.
10: Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I mean, we have um, uh, a regular um, kind of um, point of contact. It doesn't, you know, it's it's. Uh, it's, it's been disrupted over the last couple of years because of COVID and all kinds of, of changes, structural changes within um, uh, their organisation. However, um, it is something that is, it is crucial to how we operate, and I'm very, uh, very keen to make sure that we get it back on track.
2: That is Head of Regional, Rural and Emergency at the ABC, Hugh Martin, speaking there. And as I said, in disclosure, he is an upper manager of a department that I work for. The Bureau of Meteorology did say in a statement, and I'll read some of those sections for you now, and I'll quote, "'Community Information Officers will have relevant qualifications in meteorology, climatology, hydrology, communications, environmental science and or engineering.'" From an Australian educational institution, comparable overseas qualifications which are appropriate to the duties or other comparable qualifications which are appropriate to the duties will be considered. Wherever possible, the community information officers are based in the region of the broadcast. However, the Bureau's priority remains on providing accurate and timely information to enable better decision-making by the community. Everyone delivering Radio Crosses draws on local information and is fully briefed on local weather issues. Radio Crosses are shared across both the national CIO team and the local team to ensure availability of staff at the hours requested by the radio stations. And current Currently, the bureau has approximately 90 staff around Australia who deliver radio crosses, including community information officers. End quote. That's some of the information that they provided to us. But as you've just heard, even the ABC said concerns from its presenters in areas like Northern Territory and Queensland that they were getting uh information officers, or alike, in areas like Melbourne, trying to pronounce their town names and give information and it wasn't working so the ABC asked for a please explain so I'm not sure if it's all working yet but you can certainly send us your thoughts 0467 842 722 it's 23 past 12 right now let's move away from weather forecasting although we'll get the full forecast in a little over 10 minutes on the program and let's talk about the latest food that might be short in supply popular Christmas seafood could be out of reach for some customers this year as wholesalers and supermarkets are buying in in salmon at a 30-year price high, uh, Sally and Phil Maher owned Ballarat Seafoods and said storms across the east coast of Australia had reduced the amount of time fishers can spend out at sea, resulting in supply outstripping demand, along with a decline in growth due to warmer waters. Jane McNaughton popped into the wholesale store to check out the prices. Was there
1: else today? I think that's all now. Thank you.
7: Last year's all smoked salmon products, everything about two weeks before Christmas, they put in a price increase of 30% to 33%. That was due to packaging that they can't receive out of China or wherever they get all their packaging, and that was in one hit.
4: So it went up 33% last Christmas. Has it come back down or is it continuing to rise?
7: stayed there. The prices of salmon went up mid-year, they went up again in the last couple of months. Due to half a dozen reasons, COVID is one, the demand for salmon globally, the growth with mother nature, weather, packaging, fuel, feed costs for the salmon producers, then that's got to be put back to us. We've got to put our costs up as well because of fuel um, and ongoing costs.
4: So how much is the price of salmon up at the moment compared to an average year?
7: Your salmon jumped up about 25 to 30% in the last 12 months in three hits, two or three different hits.
4: So it's looking at about close to $50 a kilo at the moment. Are you expecting to go up any higher?
7: I could not answer that question. Um, It just depends on supply and weather. I, I, I can't answer that question.
4: The shop's quite busy at the moment. Has it affected the way that people are shopping, the prices?
7: No, that hasn't affected us at all.
4: There's also been uh, some concern around oysters. What can you tell us about that?
7: Back to the same old principle, it's Mother Nature. They don't like fresh water, so we've had a lot of rain, stunt their growth, and, um, yes, yeah, so they'll possibly be scarce at Christmas. But on saying that, depends where you buy your product, where you get it from, you should be right.
4: And it's just hit December. Have you already started taking orders for Christmas?
7: Yes, we have, and we started roughly two weeks ago, and it'll go right through for another two weeks.
4: Any particular items that are... Great take...
7: fish, prawns, oysters, and probably salmon.
4: The CEO of supermarket chain Richie's IGA, Fred Harrison, has also noticed seafood availability declining.
11: The situation is improving from early in the year, but it's not going to be till March, April that we get what we would call normal gain.
4: Have you ever seen prices for salmon hitting nearly $50 a kilo?
11: No, sa- salmon has always been between, you know, there's nothing to be between $20 and uh, $30, really. So it's, it's skyrocketed in the last 12 months. And look, it's not profiteering. I, I know the salmon farms aren't having a good time of it at, at all at the moment. So uh, unfortunately, it's just the um, reality of the market we're in.
4: Have you had any feedback from any of the major salmon fish farms about how difficult it has been for them?
11: Oh, yes. So we're in uh, communication with hewan and uh, Tassal, and they are saying that uh, they've never seen it like this. Uh, they are, though, indicating that it is improving. The waters are, are starting to cool, but it just takes a long period of time when it's all out of the ocean. So they're saying if this, uh, you know, barring a, um excessive excessively hot summer, they're indicating that they would think that by March, April, pricing and stock levels and growth would be all, I won't say back to normal, but closer to normal.
4: That doesn't really help people that want to have a seafood Christmas lunch, though, does it?
11: No, it's just going to be expensive uh, this Christmas. That's just the uh, reality, unfortunately. And, you know, other seafood, whether it be whitefish, I mean, that's relatively expensive as well. So... uh, Yep. No, if you're having a seafood lunch this year, it might be uh, rationing quantities. Although prawns won't be too bad. Prawns will be up a little bit, but uh, maybe we're only talking a couple of dollars a kilo.
2: That's CEO of Richie's IGA, Fred Harrison, ending that report from Jane McNaughton. You can read more about that story online at abc.net.au slash rural. It's been quite the year for this kind of thing though, hasn't it? We had the, the lettuce shortage and the great expensive lettuce price hikes. We've, we've had various fruits and vegetables go through similar things and Now, it looks like seafood with uh, particularly salmon over this Christmas period, but certainly something to watch. You're listening to The Country Hour. Just before we head to our regional news headlines and the weather, many of your thoughts coming in on the changes with the Bureau of Meteorology. And I want to read some of your texts now. This one says, was read the bomb? It's another decision made by the previous federal government. That's an anonymous text. That doesn't mean the current government can't change something, can it? Um, We have requests in to government, just so you know. Uh, So far, we haven't got a response, but we'll keep an eye on that. Uh, Why does this surprise anyone, says Brian in Venus Bay? All government departments are being completely dumbed down with cheaper, far more ineffective forms of communications. Apparently, we're not worth it, says Brian in Venus Bay. Joe says, with climate change, we need more clarification of weather not less. And Ruth from Rural Lean Gather says, What's the point of having the Bureau of Meteorology if people in Melbourne's lives depended on weather forecasting for their livelihood? There'd be an uproar in the streets. And uh, I think Ruth's being a bit facetious there. Thank you, Ruth. Uh, John from Curranborough says the person who presented the weather cross today on ABC Gippsland this morning was very poor. It was almost comedy routine with no decent weather being provided, weather info being provided. And Gail says, it sounds like we're getting home brand broadcasting. Ian from West Gippsland, I'll give you the last say just before we head to the news headlines. Hi, was... Read the bomb taking meteorologists off things like the ABC. Time and again, professional meteorologists like Andy Kemp showed how only a a a meteorological professional would know how the landforms affect the weather predictions, illustrated by all the three MET staff who used to broadcast out of West Sale, This is critical during heavy weather. We need to remind bomb management that they are our public servants providing a science-based professional service to regional areas and we demand the service be restored. Too many non science decisions, too few meteorologists, says Ian in West Gippsland. You can keep your thoughts coming zero four six seven eight four two seven double two. Right now though, we will get
12: regional news headlines today with Rio Davis. Good afternoon, Rio. Good afternoon, Warwick. Making news around regional Victoria, one of the Latrobe Valley's biggest employers is preparing to stand down hundreds of workers ahead of Christmas due to a timber shortage. Opal Australian Paper says it will run out of supply for white paper manufacturing at the Maryvale Paper Mill in eastern Victoria within weeks. The company blames a recent Supreme Court decision restricting native timber harvesting to protect endangered greater gliders. Unions say up to 300 workers may be stood down and some may permanently lose their jobs. The president of Victoria's Rural Doctors Association says patients who can afford to pay for health care should. After a report found Medicare is failing doctors and patients. The Grattan Institute has suggested developing free centres with teams of doctors of different disciplines as a solution. But Dr Dan Wilson says these could harm mixed billing GPs. Instead, he says practices should receive more government money to provide extra services to patients who nominate them as their primary place of healthcare. Former Swan Hill Mayor Jade Benham is officially the member for Mildura in Victoria's northwest after declaring victory overnight. Ms Benham will represent the National Party and says she and the party will spend each day holding the Andrews Labor government to account. Ali Kappa has conceded defeat, although she says she plans to run again in 2026 after the last four years as Mildura's independent MP. And a leading ecologist says a massive drop in the number of volunteer hours worked in Victoria's parks could have significant and long-lasting ecological consequences. Volunteer hours worked across the state peaked in 2019, with over 300,000 hours, but fell to just over 100,000 last year. Invasive weed researcher at the University of Wollongong, Professor Chris French, says the government needs to do more to help volunteers navigate bureaucracy. For more regional news at any time, you can visit www.abc.net.au forward slash news.
2: Thanks very much for that. Rio Davis there with regional news headlines.
0: On ABC Radio Victoria. You're with Warwick Long for the Victorian Country Hour.
2: Just before we head to the Weather Bureau, a couple of your texts about the Bureau. Andrew and Kyala... East says, Ree, the bomb, classic example of dumbing down a critical service for regional communities in order for government bureaucrats to be seen to be delivering economics. Uh, highlights the disconnect between the government and primary producers, says Andrew of Kyala East. And old Codger says, This is another idiotic idea from some city centric bureaucrat that has no knowledge of the real world. And Shovel's providing his own weather forecast. Was well, a sign of rain is when you get the ute bogged down the paddock. Thanks for that, Shovel. We do need a bit of comedy every now and then on the text line, 0467 842 722. Let's go to the forecast now, though, and actually find out what the weather's looking like for the week ahead for our great state. Alana Cherney is a meteorologist with the Bureau of Meteorology and can join you now. G'day, Alana. Good afternoon. How's it going? It's good here. Uh, What's it looking like? bit cloudy, patchy cloud outside my window in Shepparton. What's it look like around Victoria today?
13: Yeah, so a bit of um, patchy cloud today, and we've had some showers about in the south. Uh, not much. We've seen about four millimetres or so in East Gippsland and just a couple of millimetres or so elsewhere in the south, and those showers are set to continue to ease uh, throughout the day, but we do have that cool um, cool southerly flow, so temperatures are cool to mild. Tomorrow we're looking at uh, another cold front passing up. Uh, over southern Victoria, so we'll see uh, some further shower activity in the south, tending scattered in the east with the possibility of some isolated thunderstorms as well um, in eastern parts. And um, also notably tomorrow we do have high fire danger for the Wimmera and Mallee, given that we do have those freshening winds um, Freshening winds with, with the change, um, and those areas set to be set to be mostly dry as well.
2: Is that the so, first high fire danger day of the of the season?
13: No, it's not. We've had a few um, a few highs mainly in the Wimmera and Mallee, but yep. because it's been so wet and, and um, cooler temperatures, um, uh, it, it, it has been um, quite mild so far in terms of the, the summer and spring season.
2: Fantastic. And then, so I suppose as we move into the day beyond, how's it looking?
13: Yeah, so Thursday um, and Friday, we start to see uh, those showers gradually gradually ease. Um, but with that front coming through on Wednesday, there is some really cold air coming through behind it. So we're looking at quite cool temperatures sitting around 8 to 10 degrees below average for this time of year on Thursday. And the snow level will even be dropping to about 1,300 metres on Thursday morning and then continuing to rise um, into Friday uh, Saturday looks uh, mostly clear in the east, a couple of showers about in the west ahead of this next trough set to move through on Sunday. So Sunday is looking like uh, the most significant day in terms of potential showers um, and impacts. However, it's still looking quite messy and uncertain in terms of those details. So showers um, possible throughout but more likely in the south and east, as well as the chance of some thunderstorms. Uh, but in terms of the timing and extent of what that's likely to bring, it is it is still quite uncertain.
2: So, yeah, it's all sort of up in the air still, really? Why, why is that? Is that just because it's going to be moving so quickly?
13: Yeah, so when we're looking at our different... Um, models which, which help guide our decisions, they're, they're really showing us different things in terms of the structure of the low-pressure system and the timing of how that would move through the state. So um, we like to wait until we can see a little bit more agreement and a little bit more confidence um, as we get closer to the day.
2: And, and beyond that, anything worth noting?
13: Monday, uh, probably a continuation of some of those showers, mainly about the south, and a Tuesday, uh, a couple of showers as well.
2: And any, I suppose, warnings that are current, apart from the, the Murray flood warnings, I suppose, that we need to keep an eye on?
13: Yeah, so um, aside from the ongoing flood warnings um, for today, uh, good news is that the, the minor flood warning for the Kiowa, um is being cancelled today. Uh, but those are, those are the main warnings for today.
2: Brilliant. Alana, thanks very much for the update. Thanks a lot. Alana Cherney, a Senior Forecaster at the Weather Bureau, taking you through the full forecast uh and for for today now we do have requests in with the bureau of meteorology to speak about their changes uh obviously that's a management decision we're hoping to speak to someone who is uh, who can tell us more about the thinking behind those decisions we're not putting those questions to the forecasters because we think one it, it might not be fair to them they might not be the people making those decisions and uh and two i'd imagine the getting the forecast from the forecaster at this time of day is more important to you. So that's our thinking behind that. Just a few more of your texts, though, before we move on. This one says many experienced uh, meteorologists have left those who... um, those left behind at the organisation who can't afford to leave are being gagged and their careers squashed, says some anonymous person on the text line. This one says, um, good forecasters explain the weather patterns, not just the temperatures or rainfall. We need more of that, says Greg. Uh, hi, Warwick. We've seen this before. What are managers and the CEO being paid in wages and what will the CEO get as a bonus for saving money by down downskilling skilling? the Bureau of Meteorology, says Jack at Wodonga. It is interesting, isn't it? I was trying to think how long there has been a weather cross on the Country Hour program uh, and knowledge base with people that we know who have reported and been worked for ABC Rural went back to the 80s and there were Bureau of Meteorologists providing forecasts then. So we're looking at at least 40... To 50 years worth of services and probably well before that. I just don't have the historical knowledge at my fingertips to provide that information to you. So it is a major change and it is worth talking about and we'll continue to do so. And you can certainly send your texts or indeed send us an email, countryhour at abc.net.au if you'd like to get in contact with us here at the Country Hour. I've got a special feature for you though, looking at harvest in Victoria next on the program.
0: You're with Warwick Long for the Victorian Country Hour on ABC Radio Victoria.
2: Yeah, grain harvest is ramping up across Victoria at the moment and after a very, very, very wet year, farmers are attempting to make the most out of the fine weather conditions that have been around for the past week. And as Kelly Hollingworth reports, harvest workers have travelled from near and far to lend a helping hand.
0: Six headers, three chaser bins and countless trucks are coming and going from this paddock in the Millawa region. But to have all this machinery running requires a lot of harvest workers. Darkra Farming's Craig Henderson says his family have recruited six Canadians, three New Zealanders and two commercial pilots who are interchanging on their holidays.
14: When we tried with um, employment agencies to get staff for the harvest, uh, we had no success. We had one applicant, I think it was, and we needed uh, you know, 10 or 12 all up. So my sons, Mitchell and Ben, and their wives tracked down the people that worked for us in the past in Canada. And uh, they've been in contact with a couple of them uh, over the years, and, and uh, asked them to see if they can get some staff for us. And, uh, and then I had a nephew in New Zealand. He found three, and we got six Canadians and then we had a couple of pilots come back from the COVID days.
0: What kind of incentives do you need to offer to attract these workers and keep them for the whole season?
14: The main thing is you've got to have good working conditions. We've got good accommodation, uh, en units. Uh, we provide them with a, a car when they get here. So when they have a wet day, they can go off and look around different aspects of Victoria. And obviously you've got to pay well. And uh, they get all their food. Uh, we've got an ex pub chef uh, working for us catering, and uh, they get their washing done as well. Um, so it's a f- it's a full on family sort of show. Far as the two daughter in laws help with the staffing and the uh, catering, and also keeping the uh, accommodation tidy. And Pauline's flat out doing uh, the washing and the little bookwork.
0: Robbie Coleman is one of the Canadians who's back working for the Hendersons he's driving a chaser bin. That's a role he's very familiar with and does on his family farm at home.
15: It's kind of like home, but uh, it's just on a little bit bigger scale is all. I drive the chaser bin at home. The color of the equipment is different, but uh, the crops are the same. We grow barley, wheat, lentils and flax and canola.
0: This is not your first time harvesting grain in Australia. What's prompted you to come
15: back? The need for the people. Like, well, there's six Canadians here, so they, they need help, and we're more than willing to, to give them a hand. And the experience is also good. Like, I'm only, I'll be 25 in January, so I can say that I've been to Australia twice before the age of 25, which is really cool. Not too many people can say that.
0: Do you need incentives like having accommodation provided, having a car to get around if the weather's wet, knowing that someone's washing your clothes? cooking your meals. How much of an impact does that make to someone who is out in a chaser bin all day long?
15: Um, It definitely helps. All those amenities covered for you, we're working 14 hours a day. Uh, It's pretty tough to do the laundry and have the motivation to make your lunch and supper at whatever time of day you get in or before you leave, so that all helps.
8: My name is Monique Gill and I'm from New Zealand. How have you ended
0: up in the Milawa helping with the grain harvest?
8: I bumped into a guy at um, the Young Farmers Club back in New Zealand and he um, has a family farm over here and they were after workers so he... Um, recruited me to come over and here I am. So I've come from a sheep and beef farm over in New Zealand but I've got zero experience when it comes to um, the broadacre grain farming and machinery isn't something that I've done a lot with so no, more or less um, very much a newbie to all of this. As part of this team, what's your job? My job has been to load up the big uh, trucks that come in, mainly road trains and put the grain into their trucks um, and send them on their way. So there's a little bit of paperwork that goes with um, each truck as well, just to sort of keep track of what grains gone out and and to where. How have you found this experience? Yeah, so far it's been really fun. Um, It's only day five on the job for me, but um, yeah, I'm having a blast. It's really cool to see a whole different um, part of the world, more or less, and see how things are done out in this neck of the woods.
3: My name is Craig Zipko and I'm from Canada. This time of year in Canada, November, December, we are frozen, we uh, we are full of snow and frozen. And I had an opportunity to uh, come with my son who had contacts with the Henderson family. And uh, I asked, can the old guy come? Because I'm 58 years old. And it's in my bucket list of things to do in my life. And uh, I got in as a specialist and I'm totally enjoying my time.
0: Is it nice to be back in some warmer weather compared to
3: home? Very good. You know, at home we can't start harvest at least noon because of the heavy dew, the temperature change. So, coming here in Australia at 9 o'clock in the morning and the boss says, Let's go, I'm like, Wow, we could start at 9 a.m. And the only reason we shut down at night is because the chaser bins and the mother bin is full and we're out of fuel. Where in Canada, we rarely uh, could combine past 10 o'clock because of the temperature change and we go, we, we it's, it's too wet.
0: How does the farms that you're working on here stack up to what's at home
3: well you know it, it's i've learned one thing is i'm having a hard time figuring out where northeast south is because i'm i'm totally backwards uh when the sun goes down at night i'm lost uh, thank god on gps that we know where we're going the the farms are way much larger here uh i talk in acres and our blocks are a half mile by a half mile where we go four or five kilometers at a time the crops are similar, this barley that I'm harvesting right now is very similar to home. The yield may not be the same as mine, but uh, the wheat and the barley that I looked at is good. Uh, I'm very impressed with the, uh, the farmer how they can control the logistics to, to keep six headers going and, and try to uh, get the trucks and everything going. It, it's quite a show and I, I really enjoy uh, being part of it and uh, I feel like I'm on a team and uh, I think I'll ask the Hendersons if I can come back.
0: I'm Kelly Hollingworth, and you're listening to the Victorian Country Hour. This is a special report about the workforce that's been assembled to help Craig Henderson and his family with their grain harvest. Not all of the workers are from overseas. There's two commercial pilots also driving headers for the Hendersons when they aren't needed to fly planes. One of them is Dennis Mexted who's back for his third grain harvest.
6: I enjoyed the last two seasons of harvesting, and um, a friend was up here working in the uh, Millowa and uh, we were both working on these farms last year and he's up here full time except he's taken five days off to go and uh, have a family December gathering and uh, he's taken them and when I've got five days off work and, and I've just come up here to relieve him. Better stop there. I think we might be getting bogged. Oh yeah. Yeah. Feel the back of that sink. Uh, The harvester sink. There's a bit of a patch through there. uh, Yeah. alright, Back on the job.
0: What's the experience been like this year compared to the past times you've
6: been here? One of the noticeable differences the uh, foreigners here or the Canadians slash there's a couple of Kiwis. Uh, Whereas that hasn't the the previous two seasons, I've been up here because they haven't been able to get the foreign workers. Typically, there's a whole heap of Australians go to Canada and do their harvest, and vice versa, the Canadians come out here and do our harvest. It's a a sort of itinerant, shifting workforce, and uh, so that that'd be the big difference is is that there's a there's a lot more experience on this harvest as well. than uh, previous years.
0: What does a typical day for you look like when you are in the header?
6: Typically you arrive at around 8am and an hour to an hour and a half preparing the header for the day's work and standard things such as checking the oil, uh, greasing the uh, front, uh, blowing out the air filter. It's, it's one of the harshest environments I've ever operated machinery in. The, the dust and the dirt is unbelievable. I've never experienced that in any form of other machinery operating. I've operated a fair array.
0: What time does a typical shift finish?
6: Depending on the temperature, harvesting grain is very susceptible to moisture, but if it's a nice dry day, you'll typically finish around 10pm.
0: No doubt this machine is incredibly different to the aircraft that you fly. Are there any similarities in terms of operating the two?
6: Basically operating any electronic modern technology you, you you have what we call uh, in the airline game you, you push the button and that's the rumor and you need to confirm it by watching the screen actually what happens You know whether you're pushing the button it is reflected in what that machinery is doing so an aeroplane is very similar we, we, we push a number of buttons to perform various functions and we're very strict about reading what comes up on the screen just to uh, make sure that they would press the button properly or whatever you're asking the machine to do it's actually doing so rumor and fact so and the harvest is a bit like that I push a button here on this console and then I confirm it by by looking at the screen as, as to I've actually pushed the right button and it's doing what I've asked it to do so yeah there's a little bit of similarity in that regards
0: Mark Henderson says once the harvest is finished in the Millowa, his team will head to their properties that are further south. The next stop is Berry Willock, then Wilka and Brim.
14: We've probably got three or four weeks pretty constant still in front of us, but um, we're about a third of the way now.
0: After having a few years where um, international flights have been limited because of the coronavirus pandemic, is it nice to have international farm workers again?
14: Oh it's fantastic because you share the culture and the, and the different ideas and what they do over in Canada and, and New Zealand. Um, the scale's a bit different here in Australia as far as uh, the farming goes in this quite dry climate up here in the middle of it. um, But it's challenging and, and it's rewarding too because I would like to do a harvest myself over there but not work too hard.
0: You must be pretty stoked to see that the sky's blue and you've probably had nearly a week where it's been like that given how wet it has been, that's got to be good news
14: Oh yeah it's terrific even right now we're, we're actually stripping malt barley which is a bit hard to get this year, it was a bit of our later crops so we're getting good quality um, we've had mainly F1 up until yesterday uh, the wheat was alright quite uh, the quality's still alright there um, our peas were fine, we did get hit with a fair bit of hail last week but You sort of get in a bit of a panic when you've got all the crops sitting in front of you and it won't stop raining and think, oh God, another year of uh, of, uh, a negative income.
0: Right across Victoria, there's been plenty of discussions about farmers getting bogged. What's the experience been like for you and your team?
14: Before harvest, we took our whole team into a bogging uh, thing the BCG had on to make sure everybody understood the safety aspects of it with the snatch straps and the D shackles and everything else and where to stand. And uh, we've had no incidents and we're probably approaching 100 pullouts so far. Strict instructions uh, as soon as you stop going forward don't move and they come out quite easy. Uh, empty the boxes and out they come. but yeah we've had trucks and tractors and chaser bins bogged on a daily basis. It was a bit like this in 2010, but this is I don't think this happened too often in
2: the milliwath. Uh, Wise words there from Craig Henderson, ending that report from Kelly Hollingworth in the paddocks looking at the workers bringing in harvest uh, as it's happening and we'll continue to bring you stories from harvest as it rolls on. It's a very unique one uh, throughout Victoria this summer period. It is 8 to 1 here on the country. Just before we go to markets here, a Warrigal school has taken out a national prize. It's part of a program designed to increase knowledge of the dairy industry. The Cows Create Careers program has been around since 2004 and has grown from nine schools in Gippsland to more than 230 schools nationwide across 23 different dairying regions. Karen Thomas went back to school in Warrigal to find out more.
16: Gippsland's pretty well known as a dairy-producing region, but agriculture and horticulture teacher at Maris Sion College in Warrigal, Chris Sanini, says as the population grows and changes, there's a wide gap in knowledge in the students he teaches.
9: Oh, look, the understanding goes from uh, zero to hero. Um, You've got people that are coming off dairy farms who, I said, are very well versed in all things. And um, as urbanisation increases in this region, we're getting a lot of people that are quite disconnected from um, the rural side of things and, yeah, very negligible. You know, um, milk comes from a supermarket and we need to adjust that theory.
16: That's where the Cows Create Careers program comes in. It provides educational resources for schools and links them with local dairy farmers and industry advocates to show the range of job opportunities in the sector. This year, the organisers introduced a new element, with the winning team from each of the 23 dairying regions involved in the program invited to prepare a 60-second video about what they learned. The entry from Marist Scion College stood out from the herd, taking inspiration from the Tom Cruise film Mission Impossible, with student Riley Cennini recreating a classic scene. We got a cow harness and put it on the tractor forks and then lowered it down just above the ground like a scene from Mission Impossible and then pretty much recreated it. What were you trying to show the judges that you'd learned? About the health checks of animals and just make sure they're all healthy. Classmate Charlie Stone's scene focused on farm safety.
8: Yeah, it was about making sure you're always got your seatbelt on in the tractor and getting in and out properly and yeah, because they're pretty dangerous like big farm machinery so just make sure you're in properly.
16: While Connor Hopley took on the technology side of things.
12: About Automated milking for cows, how that can uh, help farms uh, improve efficiency and production, but I also learnt about the importance of microchipping and how that affects the health of animals.
16: National Manager of the Cows Create Careers program, John Hutchison, says those technological developments are opening up opportunities for young people in particular.
3: The younger people are more adaptive to that, um, and more willing to take those sort of things on as well. So, you know, we've, uh, robots have been in probably five or six years and that technology is coming from Europe and they want young ones to do how to do that. So even how to put the robots on farms and all that sort of thing. So that technical expertise is there to be all learnt and we've got young people here, 15, 16 years of age, that see that and think, oh, that's pretty cool. So they mightn't touch a cow at all, but they actually work within the industry because that's their area of expertise.
16: The win for marist Sion College comes with $3,000 in prize money, which Chris Cennini says will go towards a new set of scales.
9: We currently have got a fairly old set, fairly rudimentary um, stuff that works. However, I'm quite passionate about um, trying to have things at industry standard so then the students that come through and uh, do different tasks here that's the same process or the same equipment that they would use if they went into real industry. So, yeah, we're very looking forward to working with um, our local rural supplier and uh, getting a set of scales, which has got the NLS tag reader, and we can sort of monitor the livestock growth rates using the online, the computing, the cloud side of things to store data and to see and to graph the growth.
2: That's Chris Sinaney from Marist Scion College at Warragul, ending that story from Karen Tarp Karen Thomas. Uh, 64,
3: $60, $60, thanks. There you go.
2: It's market time. Let's go to Wodonga in Leanne Dax.
16: Good afternoon. 985 cattle sold to most of the usual buying group. Grass-finished yearlings and vealers were in reasonable numbers, along with a few more heavy export steers. Buyer demand was erratic at times, with cows selling to strong demand. Veal sold 30 to 50 cents cheaper, 390 to 478. Trade steers were back twenty four dollars $4 to four forty. 40 Trade heifer prices were very erratic, easing $0.05, 76 to four twenty three, with a single pen of European heifers to 4 78 Heavy steers to the processors were back $10, 3 86 to 4 20 Bullocks, however, lifted $12, 3 90 to 4 18 Heavy cows gained $5, three ten to 3 48 The middle run very few to quote, 2 46 to 2 90 Better shape bulls, three dollars to three twenty seven. The
17: ANZAC MLA. And let's go to Shepparton and Nicole Varley. Good afternoon. It was much smaller yarding with six hundred and thirty five exports and two hundred and five trade cattle penned. Amongst the exports were 355 cows. After last week's hefty price falls and harvest commencing throughout the region, producers opted to hold back stock. Buyers returned. Competition was a little stronger in the export section. There was a good run of well-covered heavy beef cows, along with a line of 50 Frisian steers over 700 kilos live weight. The trade cattle were very plain in quality, not much to offer for processors, and the majority being store condition and stags. The odd veilla pen made to 488. The yearling steers to the trade made from 397 to 480, Yearling heifers to kill 360 to 440. Not many grind steers about, the 500-600 kilo steers made from 390 to 460 to average around 409 for the C3, C4s. A run of 41 Frisians bullocks averaged 724 kilos live and made to 290, while the bulk of the heavy Frisians range from 290 to 355, averaging around 302. The C4 600 kilo plus bullocks reached 3.83. Heavy beef cows 2.80 to 3.44 cents. This is Nicole Varley from Shepparton. Thanks, Nicole. Let's go to Ballarat and Sheona Lamb. Good
16: afternoon. Lamb supply slipped to 26,000 after last week's cheaper market. All the usual buyers were present but not fully active. Bidding was again erratic and gained momentum on the heavy trade and export lambs. Store buyers were quiet and selective on quality when bidding. Very light lambs sold to six to eight cheaper. Light trade sold to six softer. Medium trade sold firm. Heavy trade, eight to 12 dearer. Heavy export lambs were firm to a few dollars softer with very limited numbers offered. Trade lambs 18 to 22 kilos sold 126 to 172, 22 to 24 sold 160 to 190 dollars a head, 24 to 26 made from 190 to 222 with a wide range of 670 to 780 cents a kilo carcass weight. Export four score 26 and over lambs sold 215 to 270 dollars a head. There is still one agent selling lambs and 4,000 sheep to be sold. This is Shiana Lamb at Bavarat for MLA.
2: Phew, got there. That's it for the country hour today. I hope you have a great afternoon.